Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. What does that mean? I mean, all of us have all this stuff that we've built up over a lifetime of what does that mean and how do I practically put that into my life? It's interesting that this guy named Constantine, who was a Roman emperor in the 300s, supposedly converted to Christ, came up with the idea that uh, certain activities shouldn't happen on Sunday, which was the Lord's Day. He declared it to be a day where it was going to be sacred, it was going to be special. And out of that came all kinds of uh, uh, different things that uh, developed in our world, and we came to realize that in some ways, you know, America, we couldn't really decide whether it was Saturday or Sunday was going to be special, so we, being Americans, just took both days off. Forget the six days shall you labor. We're going to labor five, take off two. Begin to realize religious people act a little strange. For example, the blue laws, have you heard of those, the blue laws? They started in the 17th century Connecticut by the Puritans. What they did, they wanted to try to restrain people from certain activities and make sure that people were in church on Sunday. So if you didn't go to church, you could be fined for not going to church, which to me sounds like a great way to boost attendance. They also wanted to regulate moral behavior. In Texas, for example, the, the blue laws prohibited selling housewares such as pots, pans, and washing machines on Sunday until 1985. So convinced that you could somehow make people holy and make people religious. In Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Maine, Minnesota, Missouri, Oklahoma, New Jersey, North Dakota, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, Car dealerships continue to operate under the blue law, which means they cannot purchase or sell on Sunday. In 1677, the General Assembly of East New Jersey banned the singing of vain songs or tunes on the Sabbath. I'm not sure what that means, but you couldn't do that anyway. Remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. I'm not sure what it means. But we're going to explore it a little bit today. We're going to dive into it and see if we can get closer to an understanding of what it means. First of all, let me give you a wilderness report. See if you've heard this first one. You can be in the middle of a miracle and what? And not know it. You know, I, as I look back over this past week, this week alone was a miracle. It just really was a miracle in, in God's hand. I met with the president of the soccer league. One of our concerns was, be, would, was that when soccer started, we weren't going to have parking I sat down with him and we had a nice talk and he said, why don't I just see if I can get the league to change the times so there is no soccer going on from 10 to 12. And as we talked further, he, he said, what are you doing? And I told him about the Bible study. He said, could I come to the men's Bible study? I don't know, just kind of crazy, but it seemed kind of neat. He said, what are you doing? I talked to him about, about Mervyn's and he said, what are you going to do in there? I said, we're going to do a lot of things. I said, I'm thinking a couple of basketball courts in there and we can rent those out and we can use them for ourselves. He said, no, you don't want to do that. You want to do soccer, indoor soccer. <laughs> there's more players, there's more revenue, and they spend more time there. And he said, we actually would partner with you that and be a joint tenant with you on that if you want to do that. And I, you know, and I, I mean, that's just, what I just gave you was one conversation of a dozen that were just like that. 
And sometimes we don't stop to think about what God is up to. And we, we, we kind of say, oh, that was just part of life. That's not part of life. That's part of a miracle of God. And that's how we need to see it. Here's another truth, that God slows you down so you can remember what's important. I think that's one of the reasons there is a Sabbath. There is a, a, a Lord's Day. There is a holy setting apart of one in seven because God says, slow down. You'll forget what's important. Because if every day can be a work day, then every day will be a work day. You will work 724 if you possibly can. Another wilderness report is this one. Creativity increases with rest. And as you find yourself resting in God, you're going to find your creativity going up. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But let's look at this text together. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. And look what the Word of God says here. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But the seventh is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, and in it you shall do no work, nor shall your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Well, we know what it says. We've heard it. We've probably lived with it all of our life in some way or another. But let me just talk to you about what it really is. We drill down into it, how I think we can put our arms around. Here's the first thing I want you to hold on to. Work is easier than worship. I can work a lot easier than I can worship. When I start worshiping God, it's really work. Anybody ever tried to pray an hour for the first time? Say, I'm going to pray an hour. And you're on your knees. And you're praying. And all of a sudden the blood stops flowing through your knees. You've run out of stuff to pray. You're now, you've now prayed for every person in China. And you've only taken up 15 minutes. And you're thinking to myself, yourself, how in the world am I going to pray an hour? It's work to worship God. Sabbath rest means to stop, to change gears, and to enjoy the results of your work. It provides a balance. Six days, you're going to labor. But on the seventh day, it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It is a necessary counterbalance in our life to stop and reflect and worship God. So that the rest of our work, the next week and the week after, can be good and be beneficial. It's interesting what the Bible has to say about this matter of work. I want to just take you through some scriptures. Here's the first one. Exodus 31, 15. Six days shall your work be done, but the seventh is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy unto the Lord. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends to lead only to poverty. Proverbs 14. You ever known somebody that all they wanted to do was talk and they never wanted to work? That's who he's talking about. Proverbs 18, 9. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. In other words, if you're not working hard, you're killing everybody around you. Proverbs 21, 25. The desire of the sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor. So another proverb says, consider the ant. Ever watched ants? These guys are always moving. There's never a foreman on the job. 
You don't see like the head ad out there going like this, bring the fly this way. Cockroach over here. These guys are working all the time. You can get a hose and water them down. They don't care. They're grabbing eggs out of the depth of the belly of the earth and they're hauling them somewhere. I don't know what's going on. And he says, consider the ant, O sluggard. How long will you linger? God wants us to work. Ecclesiastes 3.22. So I saw that there is nothing better that a man should work and rejoice in his work. Whatever you do, the scripture says, work heartily as unto the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3. 2 Thessalonians 3.10. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Well, that'll get me working. How about you? I get hungry and I'm thinking, I, I think I'll work. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But the, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Now, sometimes in our working, we go to extremes and we become what We've termed a, a term a workaholic, and we ne can't stop working. And I'm sure mobile devices have helped us a lot to stay up and stay wired 24-7 if we want to. And we create these problems in our life, and they're complex, and we think, well, how do I undo? How do I get myself out of it? I love this quote from Einstein. He said, you can never solve a problem on the level in which it was created. It's always going to be more complex to solve a problem. When you find yourself starting to pull back and reflect on God, when you look at your, your, your Sunday, your, your day with God, you're going to say, how do I make that holy unto God? When everything is filling up the slot, and we've lost the ability to say no, and we've become great negotiators with everyone, including God, for our day, our time, our worship, our money, our talent, and everything else in life. But I want you to see something about creation. Secondly, creation models a divine pattern. William Mason said this, the Sabbath is a time when the spent spirit may catch its breath and man may look into the face of God and be refreshed. Let me say that again. The Sabbath is a time when the spent spirit may catch its breath and man may look into the face of God and be refreshed. It's interesting. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, we probably know that it talks about on day 1, God did this. On day 2, God did that. And each of those days, it ends with this. And it was evening and morning of the first day. And then it was evening and morning of the second day. The third day the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day. But when you get to the seventh day, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say morning and evening. It doesn't end. Sabbath rest is not about morning to evening or evening to morning. It's about a relationship you enter into with God. The other interesting thing is the word Sabbath is not used until Exodus chapter 16. You won't find it. All the way through that Old Testament, you won't see Abraham saying to have a Sabbath. You won't see Noah saying to have a Sabbath. 
You see, what happened was that Sabbath was interrupted with Adam, and it wasn't until God brought redemption to Israel through the Lamb in Egypt when the blood was put on the doorpost that they could understand what it means to enter into Sabbath rest. You see, you can't have Sabbath rest without Christ. You can stop. You can cease from your labors. You can turn everything off. And you can be rested physically. And you can be dying spiritually, emotionally, and mentally and never recover. Evening and morning. God says, no, it's not the way it's going to work. Adam and Eve could have enjoyed perpetual rest in that environment, in the Garden of Eden. But they disrupted it. On the practical side, let me talk to you a little bit about how this mind works. Our conscious mind is primarily concerned with analyzing the past. For what went right, what went wrong. For seeking to anticipate and predict and control our future. So what you think about all day is, hey, what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? What do I do next? It only makes up about 5% of the power of creativity that you have. The other 95% is your subconscious mind. You know why God says don't let the sun go down on your wrath? In other words, why, why would I not just go to bed mad? Any married couples ever gone to bed mad? Sure you have. You know why the Bible says not to do that? Because it rolls over into your subconscious mind. It's stored there forever. If you leave it on the conscious mind, deal with it while you're awake, guess what? It's not going to affect you the rest of your life. Some of your marriages can be improved simply by not going to bed angry. Stay up and fight all night. <laughs> Amen? Like someone said, if it wasn't for marriage, we'd have to fight with perfect strangers. But now watch the subconscious mind, what it does. It takes the data in, right? You're getting all this data. It converts it into emotions, decisions, actions, and behavior. So a lot of times your emotional life, you're, you're spewing this out from your subconscious, which is out of control because you're fatigued. Your conscious mind only contributes to 5% of your cognitive behavior and activity while your subconscious mind 95%. Now Isaiah didn't know that. Moses didn't know that, but God knew that. God was the creator, designer of your body, your soul, and your spirit. Listen to what he said. You might want to turn to this passage or at least jot it down. Isaiah chapter 58 verses 13 and 14. Isaiah 58, 13 and 14. Listen to what it says. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and honor him, not doing your own ways or finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. So in other words, you make a conscious decision, this day is going to be holy unto God. I'm not going to do my regular work on this day. What I'm going to do is I'm going to say, God, this is special. This principle of one in seven is special. And I'm going to honor it before you. Then God says this, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. You see, if you don't do that, you don't, it's hard to find the delight in the Lord. Because every day is like every other day. I just don't do my normal job. I don't go into my normal office on that day. 
It says, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And listen to what God says. I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Do you know that promise there about honoring God on God's day is just as valid, just as powerful as the promise where God says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is a promise that comes from the mouth of God. You know, it's interesting that the business models of the fast food chains uh, never really includes not doing business on Sunday, and yet Chick-fil-A, a billion-dollar operation, has proven you can do it. You can do it. People say, well, that won't work in our day. Anything will work if you believe in it, if you're moving in the right direction, if you work hard and you trust God. You say, well, I've had this setback and I've had this, so what? Who hasn't? Join the club. Is God bigger than your problem? Honor God and see what God can do. And then take what God does for you and bless others with it. And be this revenue stream of just constantly giving back for the kingdom of God. I don't know if you know it, we launched our first kind of mission activity in Santa Ana. It's called Burgers and Bibles. It's an outgrowth of a friend of ours that does it on Skid Row, and she came down, and now part of our college ministry. They went down to Santa Ana, and they give out a Bible and a burger to homeless people. They had them lined up, talked to them about Jesus, and once a month, they're down in Santa Ana giving out burgers and Bibles. And I just, I told Brittany, I said, hey, we'll pay for the, you know, they go to the dollar store, they get a dollar Bible, and go to McDonald's, get a dollar burger. Isn't that great ministry? Well, after the first one, somebody who doesn't even go to it said, heard about it and said, well, can I pay for that? Doesn't even go to Influence Church. They're paying for the burgers and Bibles every month. And I said, God, that's just what I like. I like to see people get involved in, in changing lives. If you honor God, you'll be surprised what God will do to honor you. Gerard von Rod said this, Among the many benefits of redemption offered to man by the Holy Scripture, that of rest has been almost overlooked in biblical theology. Rest in the Lord. Think about that concept. Rest in the Lord. The Sabbath is a shadow of things to come. Take your Bibles and open it with me to the book of Colossians chapter 2. And I want to take you on a, a bit of a journey. I want to show you this idea of Sabbath, this idea of rest, how powerful it really is when you begin to understand it from a biblical perspective. Colossians chapter 2, Paul is trying to address the misunderstanding that people have about how life works and what God has to say to us. Okay? So Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, listen to what Paul writes. Everybody got it? Just shout out, I got it. Okay? 2.15, having disarmed principalities and powers. Those are spiritual forces that are arrayed against you. They're the forces that tempt you, put a bad thought in your mind, cause you to do not-so-nice hand gestures on the 91. <laughs> Got it? That's where that's all coming from. You're really a, basically a good person, right? You don't know where that came from. Have you ever even found yourself saying, I don't know why I'm thinking or feeling the way I'm thinking or feeling right now? Have you ever had that, that experience? 
Have you ever been a little de defeated, depressed, discouraged, and said, I, don't, I have nothing to be defeated, discouraged, or depressed about? You don't know where it came from? It comes from principalities and powers. It comes from spiritual forces that are trying, that are attacking the body of Christ. They're attacking you, trying to keep you from enjoying the power and the authority you have in Jesus Christ. It's not accidental. It's very, very strategic on Satan's part. But look what it says that Jesus did. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In other words, when Jesus Christ was crucified, buried, and rose from the dead, he pointed a laughing finger at every principality and power and said, you have no power, you have no authority, you have no jurisdiction over me. When we believe that by faith, when we walk in that in faith, we too have that same power, that same authority over principalities and powers. We never have an excuse anymore for feeling that way. You're going to feel that way, but you have a way out of that, and that's by God. Now look what he says. Therefore, verse 16, let no one judge you in regard to food or in drink, regarding a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath. Now these are typically Jewish kinds of things, holidays, different ways of looking. And someone says, well, you shouldn't do that on Sunday. No, don't act as my judge in that. Because we have to understand, this is not about a day. This is about a relationship. This is about transformation. This is not about watching the clock to see if you put in enough hours of rest. And I'm going to show you that next. Notice verse 17 which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So a Sabbath day is what? It's just a shadow that tells you more about Jesus. These festivals, these new moons, all these things the Jews did, they were just a shadow of things to come. Now look at verse 18. Let no one cheat you of your reward. You mean people are trying to get my spiritual reward, my heavenly reward? Sure, they're sneaking around all the time. They're trying to take that away from you and take your joy away. There are people that are just joy grabbers. You know those people? You start telling somebody, well, let me tell you what God's doing. Yeah, I know God did that, but he did that for me one time too, but then my life fell apart. I mean, don't we have people like that in our life? And you tell people, you know, I, I just really believe God's going to do this. Yeah, I used to pray a lot, but you know, I... I, you know, I don't know. God hasn't answered all my prayers. And if you're not careful, what are you going to do? You're going to go right in step with them. You're going to say, well, yeah, that's right. He hasn't answered all my prayers. And wow, you know, uh, and you, you're right. And, and all of a sudden, what do they do? They start to rob you of your reward, your eternal reward, and the blessing and the favor of God that you live out in every day of your life. What you have to do is say, wait a minute. Christ is already trying, you can, just say, you can say it to them, it's probably a little bit more politically correct to just say it in your own head, but just say, you know what, God has already triumphed over all of that, I don't have to listen to this, I don't have to be swayed by this, I don't have to go down this tube with these people. If you're really gutsy, just say, you are full of the devil. <laughs> That'll get their attention. Or you can say, get behind me, Satan. Not very politically correct, and yet Jesus did it, didn't he? Because he realized how valuable it was to hold on to the mission and the purpose of God in his life. You have to remember how powerful and how important it is to hold on to the mission and the purpose of God in your individual life. 
And every day that you waste missing out on what God wants to do in you and through you is the day you have forfeited eternal reward in eternity. And you don't get it back. That's why Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not here on earth. He commanded you to do that. You have to do it every day. Let that build up. He goes on to say, how do people do it? In false humility, worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. In other words, some people are just, well, you know, I don't do that on Sunday. You know what that is? False humility. That gives me a pain I can't locate. <laughs> false humility. Come on, get real. I remember a lady told me one time I was mowing the lawn on Sunday. She said, I can't believe you mow the lawn on Sunday. I said, well, it needed mowing. Well, it's the Lord's day. And I said, I know. And I, I, the Lord grew the grass up and it needed mowing. <laughs> so offended. So offended. Should you mow grass on Sunday? If it needs mowing. But here, remember, are you keeping it holy? Not the grass yourself. Keeping the day holy. Keeping it holy unto God. Okay, now look. Go down to verse 23. These things indeed have the appearance of wisdom. In other words, if I worship angels... If I don't do certain things, eat certain foods, drink certain, certain things on Sunday or on Sabbath day, it says they have the appearance of wisdom, only an appearance, in self-imposed religion. Have you heard me say, I'll say it again, I hate religion. Religion is man's attempt to try to please God. I love Jesus, I hate religion. My neighbor pulled up, she's Syrian, she's Muslim. She pulled up in front just to talk, we have a good relationship. She's so broken about what's happening in Syria. And we too, too should be what's broken. Humanity is suffering greatly there. And I said, how are you doing? She just started to cry. She said, my people, my friends, they're being killed, they're being hurt, it's just horrible. She said, we, would you join me in praying for peace? And I said, absolutely. She said, maybe one day God will give us peace. I said, maybe so. You just minister grace to people wherever you go. But don't get this falsely imposed. Look, the appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and the neglect of the body. But look what it says. The last line is the greatest line. But are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, you can do all that stuff that has the appearance of being right, that it doesn't keep you from being an ungodly person or, or doing what you want to do because it's the heart of the matter. Hebrews chapter 4, verses beginning 1 and, one and following, that whole chapter is about this. He said, you know, Joshua failed to give the people rest in the wilderness. And he spoke of another day. Well, Joshua stopped and they observed Sabbath, but he wasn't talking about that. He was talking about another day. Then he said this, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as they did in the wilderness. And then he says this, he says, rest is what we enter into. We enter into rest of God by faith. Matthew chapter 11, turn there with me. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 30. Jesus said this, you've heard these words, I want you to hear them a little differently. If you've got your Bible, mark these 
two things in it because it's really a, a very simple little twist in the scripture, but you have to see it to remember it. Jesus said this, come to me. You got it? Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. And I will charge you for rest. Does it say that? What's it say? I'll give you it. So it's a gift, isn't it? Rest is a gift from the hand of God. It's not something you give yourself. It's not something you earn or deserve. It's the gift from God. I will give you rest. Read on. Take my yoke. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So I have to take the gift, then I have to start training. I have to start learning. How do I do this, God? How do I, how do I learn from him who is gentle and humble of heart? As I learn from him, as I receive the gift, what does it say I do? You will find then rest for your souls. I'm going to give it to you, but I can give it to you and you not find it. The gift has already been given, but you haven't found it because you haven't put into life, he says here. You haven't learned from me. Learn how to be gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your what? Your souls. My soul can get rest. You know what your soul is? It's your mind, your will, and your emotions. They get rested then. Your mind isn't always spinning and thinking, how do I get out of this? How do I figure this out? What's going to happen to me? And you've got these these, these dilemmas that are hitting and, and clashing against one another all the time. He says, no, you can have rest for your soul. Apart from your body, your body can be physically drained and you can be resting in your soulish man, in your spiritual man. For my yoke is easy. And guess what? My burden, it's really light. It's really light. In other words, if it feels heavy, he's not carrying it. Whatever you got right now that's feeling heavy, he's not carrying it. Whatever's heavy right now, you've got to take it to that cross and say, Jesus, take it. I can't carry this burden any longer. It's too much for me. Oscar Wilde said this, to live is the rarest thing in the world. To live is the rarest thing in the world. Most people exist, and that is all. To really live. To really live. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. If you feel like you're just existing, you're just kind of hanging on with life, move into this realm of what God can do. He'll give you rest. He'll provide it for you. Here's a couple of life applications. Here's the first one. God always honors the one who honors it may not be easy. I remember when I first came to faith in Christ, I was speaking to this little church in southern Missouri. And they had on the wall this giant picture of Daniel in the lion's den. I'll never forget it. Because all the lions are laying around and they're asleep. And Daniel's got his hands behind his head. And he's got his head propped on the belly of a lion. His feet straight out in front of him with his legs crossed. You see, he was in the middle of danger. He was in the middle of adversity.
but he found peace. He found rest. He honored God, and God honored him. Second thing is this. Rest is something you enter by faith. It's as simple as this, Jesus. I'm not at rest. I need to be at rest. Your word promises if I will come to you, you will give me rest. Now I need to learn from you how I rest. I need my soul to be rejuvenated. I need my mind and my will and my emotions to be strengthened. I want to walk like Jesus walked. I want to live in the power of Jesus himself. God, I'm going to commit myself to you every time I feel anxiety, every time I feel rushed, every time I feel pressure. And God, I have to have you. My workload is too great. I have to have you show me how I can do it quicker, faster, more effectively. Because without that, I'm going to be stretched in every direction. You are God. You can do this, and I believe you for it. In Jesus' name. Let me pray. Let's stand together and pray. Father, as we prepare for this worship song, and as we take what we've heard and we, we try to commit it to you, God, we have to say, God, some, in something that was said by your word, by your spirit, God, you have spoken to each person in here. There are those who need to really find rest. There are some who've never found Christ and need to find Christ. Some God that are upset and, and, and just anguish over physical setbacks and illnesses or financial troubles. They need rest. We need Sabbath rest, God. We need to enter into the fullness of the presence of Almighty God. Holy Spirit of God, as we, as we sing and as we commit ourselves to you during this time, we pray for your worship. To encompass us, for your love to surround us, for you to be gracious unto us and minister powerfully. If you have a prayer request, you'd like to bring it to this cross, bring it today. If you'd like to come and pray with some, come and pray. If you'd like to give your heart to Jesus, come today. Come unto Jesus. Come unto Jesus. You'll find rest for your soul.